Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Please be seated. Now, this is one of those services where you wish you could just flow but you know that for any move of the Spirit to stand the test of time, you have to teach. And that's why we must be a church that is as passionate about teaching as we are about the flow of the miraculous and the flow of the Spirit. So it's very important to have something very crucial to share with you. Turn your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 4. Now, this is one of the most prophetic teachings I've ever done. And many times we don't even know what prophecy is. We have a microscopic perspective to prophecy. And that is important. It happens all the time. <clears throat> so that lady, one of the ladies I called out, prayed this morning and said, God, I want you to give me a specific word. You know, and I just come here impromptu and I call her out specifically. Now, that's microscopic is good. But sometimes, God gives a word that reveals the direction of the move of the Spirit for a generation. Such that when you see what the devil is trying to use up against the church, you can tell that prophecy had already prepared you. That's, this is that type of sermon. There are some sermons I preach and some sermons I have preached that people will understand 10 years after. This is that type of sermon. Are you listening to me? Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, I have to move with the speed of light. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I know you're familiar with this text, but unfortunately, we attribute, you know, strongholds to witches and wizards and charms and spells. But we need to understand in context what he means by strongholds. Verse 5, everybody read together, want to go. Casting down what? Arguments. The KJV says imaginations. So what are the strongholds? Imagination to arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity, did he say every demon? Bringing into captivity what? Every thought to what? Listen, a lot of people don't know that the major warfare in the church is not the plan of the devil against your health or to keep you jobless or any such thing. The biggest strategy of the enemy is against your mind. And so Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and have every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, there is a place that the conviction of God and his word ought to take in your heart and only in your heart. And the devil wants to take that place. He wants to get you second guessing and doubting what the word of God says. That's what the real warfare is. He wants to erect ideologies in your mind and superimpose the standards Superimpose against the standards of God's word. Until you come to a point where you say, I know the Bible says it, but do we have to go by it? Do we have to live by it? That's the biggest stronghold. The devil has not truly defeated a man until he has taken over his convictions. Did you hear what I said? The devil has not truly defeated a man until he has taken over his convictions. I'll give you two simple examples. 
So, at the baptism of Jesus, there is a voice from the sky. This is my beloved son. Hear he him. And then after that, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And guess what? The devil begins to tempt him. And what does he say? I know there are three temptations, but there is a recurring theme in all of them. Consistently, the devil says, if you are the Son of God, this is the plan of the devil. He tries to make conditional what God has established. Did you hear what I said? God said, this is my Son. And he says, if you are. He's trying to make it conditional. As if Jesus had to do anything to prove that he is who God says he is. That's where the real battle is. Come on, are you listening to me? Trying to get you to second guess the word of the Lord. So now, God creates Adam and Eve gives them a whole garden and says, well, of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat, but of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. The day you eat it, you shall surely die. And then the serpent comes and says, did God say that? Listen, every time you have the temptation to rethink the authority of the scriptures, to second guess what God has clearly said in his word. That's an attack of the enemy. Many times we don't really know how to discern the devil's work. But every time the devil manifested and was tempting someone in a practical, literal way, he was trying to get them to put aside the word of God concerning them. Did God say that you cannot eat of any tree in the garden. And she says, no, of every tree of the garden we can eat. But of a tree of knowledge of good and evil, we must not eat it. And she even added, we must not touch it, lest we surely die. And you know what he says? You shall not surely die. Do you know what the devil did? He redefined death. He says, what God is calling death is you becoming as God's. Knowing good and evil. If you eat of this tree, your flesh will come alive. You will have a choice. Before you were predisposed, you have the proclivity for righteousness. But now you will have a choice. Once upon a time, you were not even going to debate, you know, God's opinion about money, God's opinion about sex. But now there is a choice. And now the flesh is warring against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. God calls that death. Satan calls that freedom. You shall not surely die. Paul explains that phenomenon. He says, to be carnally minded is what? You, you see, but, but Satan says, no, you shall not surely die. You will just be as God. You will be able to choose. He thinks it's boring that you are programmed to do only righteousness. Let there be a contrary voice warring against the law of your mind and bringing you to the captivity of the law of sin and death. He calls that freedom. You shall not surely die. God knows that in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do what you will. Listen, that's the oldest trick of Satan. The illusion of freedom. Trying to give you the impression that anything trying to get you to have a conviction, to have anything sacred in your life, is putting you in prison, putting you in bondage. Cast off virtuous restraints. Have no limits. Have no boundaries. Do whatever you like. He makes it seem exciting. This is the biggest war you can win in your life. Please, are you listening to me? The title of this sermon, I know this is the ministry of the spirit part two, but I want to talk specifically about what I've titled the matrix. The moral programming of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know when you hear the matrix, the movie comes to mind, and that's on purpose. You see, in the year 2000, I went to visit some family friends. And they had a desktop computer. And they had got a CD from their auntie, and they were going to, were going to see a movie together. And the movie was The Matrix. It had come out one year before. It was specifically released Easter 1999. You will see why that's important later. I mean, if you had asked me at that time, it was one of the best movies ever released for so many reasons. I mean, you want to talk about the special effects? I doubt there was any movie that had better special effects at that time. I mean, are you joking with me? Have you forgotten Neo's scene where he was dodging the bullets? If you try to mimic that scene in school, raise your hand. <laughs> you know, it was so cool. It had everything for everybody. Science fiction, action thriller, had a love story, had everything. I loved the movie. And as if the movie was not good enough, I now began to discover that it was some form of Christian allegory. Many of you don't probably know that there were Christian themes littered all around the movie. If you are hearing that for the first time, wave at me. All right, good. So I've gotten some pictures and screenshots. First and foremost, almost all the plate numbers of the cars in the matrix were scriptures. I'll prove it to you. Deuteronomy 28.52. Well, not just that when you look at the names of the key characters in the movie, I mean, someone was literally named Trinity, right? There was a spaceship in the movie named Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then there was a place in the movie named Zion. Listen, there is a text. Okay, look at this. Look at this ship called Nebuchadnezzar. Not just is it called Nebuchadnezzar. Can you see what is written up? Mark chapter 3 verse what? 11. Listen, you cannot accidentally do that. Are you with me? So when I saw this, I started falling in love with the movie even more. And saying, oh, I get it. Maybe it's a Christian story after all. The concept of there being a realm beyond this realm. A realm that is even more real. And that Neo is some form of savior who is meant to, I mean, liberate mankind from their fallen states. I mean, it just made me even more interested. Oh, this is another Chronicles of Narnia. You know, this is very good. But you see, one thing Christians need to understand is that the fact that something has a Christian theme doesn't make it Christian. In fact, it might be the opposite. And this is the case. I'm telling you this for a reason. Now, here is the bubble buster. Matrix the movie is Genesis 3 in movie format. And I will explain it to you. The idea of the movie is this. First and foremost, the world is a computer simulation called the Matrix. It's not real. And everything organized, governance, education, religion is a prison of ignorance. Prison of ignorance. And so these rebels are trying to get humanity to unplug themselves from the hold of a world of rules. I have two clips I want to play for you that will help you understand. How many of you remember Red Pill, Blue Pill? I want to play some parts of it so that you listen attentively and see if you get it. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. 
What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison. Uh, he calls it a prison. A world of rules. He calls it a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. Is that Genesis 3 or not? <laughs> Did God say that you cannot? says you are a slave in bondage. He told you you cannot taste. He says you see it around you, the matrix. Specifically, he said when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. So every organized, constituted authority is the enemy. Do what you will is what he's saying. And now he says there are two pills. If you take the blue one, you just wake up the same way you got here and you forget everything that happened, if you take the red one, you can follow the rabbit hole. Meaning there's a lot I want to show you. I can't tell you, you have to taste it yourself. You have to taste it yourself. The same story told again and again and again. The same strategy. You have to understand the devil is not a man. He's a spirit. He doesn't change. His ideologies will not change. His strategy will not change. The approach will change, but the context will not change. And so there is another scene in the movie. I hope that you can figure out the audio. That scene, who remembers the lady in the red dress? Oh my God. I want you to play it and notice something. First and foremost, this is the first picture you see. A sign that says, stop. And everybody in the world, uniform, with uniformity, is stopping. And then, play it. The Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters. The very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system. That That's the idea of the movie. Everyone is going a particular direction and then we are going the opposite. Counterculture. Counter system fighting authority. Why must it be done this way? Listen, the devil has consciously fought against everything sacred in your life. Why must you have rules? Let me tell you something. You know, the, um, Gen Z's might not know this, but there was a group called Spice Girls. I know you're pretending. No, you know you pretend. And they had a song titled, Do It. Now you are quiet. You don't know, have you? Let me read some parts of the lyrics of that song. It says, do what mama said, I will not be told. Keep your mouth shut, keep your legs shut. Who cares what they say? 
Because the rules are for breaking. Who made them anyway? I hope you know that most of their fans were pretends. 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and this was their message to them. Eminem in one of his raps says, follow me, do exactly what the, work, what the song says. Smoke weed, kill people, drop out of school. Just in case you are saying, oh, it's just hip-hop culture, they don't really mean it. He's telling you. It's a popular song, very nice song, but the song says, happiness is the truth. Happiness is not the truth. And the devil has fought against objective truth. Why is everybody trying to put you in some prison? And listen, let me tell you something. Everybody who has an addiction was looking for freedom. And in the pursuit of freedom, they became prisoners. Why shouldn't I drink as much alcohol as I want? Now you are a drunkard. And the proof that you were not free, even if it's freedom you were pursuing, is that you cannot stop if you tried. It's a trick. And so the irony is that the movie Matrix points and paints a picture as if everyone is in bondage. But guess what? For Neo to tap into his real potential, they have to plug something behind his head. The irony the contradiction. And so, what they are doing in essence is that they are changing the semantics and they are painting bondage to be freedom. You think you are free because you don't have restrictions? Let me tell you something. Wired into the fabric of even science is sacrifice. In everything that we do, have you noticed that the healthy foods don't taste nice? I know it's annoying, but such is life. Such is life. Just imagine if to keep fit, you had to, to take a lot of ice cream and a lot of pizza. And to watch your weight, you had to take a lot of burger. That the, the doctor says, um, you need to slim down. So here's what you do. Eat burger every day. It would be nice, right? <laughs> But the reality is, if you want to be healthy, you have to take cucumber and vegetables and drink a lot of water. Soda is sweet, but it will harm you. This is the reality of life. That for anything worth your while, it will require sacrifice. And the irony is this. If you want to stop waking up tired every morning, even if you slept through the night, you're still tired in the morning. If you want to stop being tired, you have to start exercising. That's the paradox of life. That the reason why you're tired is because you don't wear yourself out in the gym. Because you are not walking, that's why you're tired. That's what fatigue is. If you are not walking out, you'll be tired. <laughs> and we have been painted a picture as if to say, as if to say, if you don't walk, then you'll be strong. But guess what? If you don't walk, you'll be tired. That's the reality of life. This life has interwoven in its very fabric sacrifice. You cannot do what you want. And this idea of subjective truth will create a chaotic world. We will self-destruct. Don't buy the lie. Please, are you listening to me? Don't buy the lie at all. Someone said, sin isn't just wanting bad things. It is wanting things badly. That even the things that are not sinful must have boundaries. Food is good but it can be abused. Even good things must have boundaries. Say loud amen if you understand. And so when God reveals to you 10 commandments, 
Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Listen, the purpose of everything he's saying is love. Not restriction, but love. And so when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest command, commandment of the law? He summarizes it this way. He says, thou shalt love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. It's love, not restriction. There's a reason why the gallery has railings, has rails. Someone might see it as restriction, but a smart thinking person will see it as protection. God is not trying to limit your experience. He's trying to protect it. A healthy world must have boundaries. Let me tell you this. Someone will say, do what you will. Yet, when the same person has his house evaded the next day and robbers come in and steal everything. How dare you say they are wrong? He's doing what he wills. You have stuff that he likes. By what law would you say it is wrong for him to take your stuff forcefully? He felt like taking it. Because, you see, whether we admit it or not, we all subscribe to this unanimous moral law. We believe that there is a standard and we hold other people accountable to that standard. We call it different names. Sometimes we say use your church mind. We believe that there is a collective agreement on what is right and wrong. We can't have society without that. Say loud amen. amen. And what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus speaking, John 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom the Father will send, the Spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He is called the Spirit of truth. Oh, glory to God. In the Holy Spirit, we understand that there is objective truth. Not only do we understand that there is objective truth, we are empowered to walk in it. You see, what makes the temptation of the devil so powerful is this. Many people have struggled, tried to do what is right and they couldn't. Tried to overcome habits and they couldn't. And so, eventually they begin to embrace the idea that maybe it's not wrong after all. Many of the people who bought this satanic idea, this satanic idea of subjective truth and reality, it is because they've struggled. And so it's a coping mechanism for their contradictions. I've tried. Because I've tried to stop pornography and I couldn't, maybe pornography is not bad. To every such person, I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus. Please embrace the ministry of the Spirit. Because you are in church does not mean you have. And I'm telling you, this is a prophetic message. Listen, we are coming again to the days of Noah. A day where you can never know what is right by looking outside. You are going to hold on to objective truth and reality. Even if you and your family are the only ones left in the world who don't do it. Let me tell you this. Imagine you were Noah. And everybody is doing evil. Nobody is going to look at you funny if you do wrong. So you are no more doing it because, oh, church people might see you. You are doing it because you know it is right. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the conviction of Noah. We are coming to that time. A time where iniquity will abound so much, it will not be bad if you have contradictions. That's why you must learn it. And we must fight for the proper definition of truth. Don't let the devil blur the lines. Are you listening to me? If God said it is wrong, it is wrong. But the problem with the church is this. We've not even embraced the ministry of the Spirit to the fullest. See, let me explain this. Once upon a time, all phones could do was call someone. But now, you no longer have to go to the bank to exchange money. To get money, you can use your phone. You no longer have to go to a cyber cafe to send an email. You can use your phone. Now, imagine someone 
who gives his grandma, grandma who is used to that old phone, a smartphone so that she would be, you know, have this convenience, everything close to her. And instead, she still goes to the cyber cafe if there's any such thing. She still goes to the bank even to check her account balance. To send an email. She looks for a cyber cafe and all those things. It is possible for possibilities to be at your beck and call and then you are still stuck in the past. Let me tell you this. I'm, and There's a reason I'm saying this. The church has not realized what has changed. When the writer of Hebrews says, you are not come to a mount that can be touched and that burns with fire and brimstone. He's trying to differentiate the Christian experience from what the Jews had. Something has changed. And so he's redefining the Christian experience. You are not come to a mount that might be touched. You are come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Are you aware that something new has happened? And that your experience is different from the experience of those of old? Are you aware? This is what Paul was praying that you would see. He says that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light. So that you will know the hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The exceeding greatness of his power. Oswald who believe. He wants you to have revelation of what's new in Christ. This is how I would describe the new ministry of the Spirit. You know, sometimes you have an issue at home. God forbid there is an, a medical emergency. And you just call doctor. Ah, doctor, my daughter is having these symptoms. And you just say, oh, get this, get this, get this. But then there are some situations where the doctor will have to be present. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, in the Old Testament, God gave rules. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's just like first aid. But in the New Testament, he came into you to empower you to do. Now, I'm talking about the ministry of the Spirit. A lot of people don't understand. Some people are still using the first aid option when they can have the doctor in their house. And that's the problem. So when you talk about the ministry of the Spirit and you streamline the ministry of the Spirit to provision, to healing as important as that is, to victory over satanic forces as important as that is, you are minimizing his ministry. If you are talking about the advent of the Spirit, the things that should stand out for you as the ministry of the Spirit should be the things that could only happen with the Holy Spirit inside you. Can I tell you something? Before the Holy Spirit ever dwelt in any man, there were miracles. Theologians describe it this way. There is the Spirit upon and the Spirit within. The Spirit of God was upon Samson. He could carry great stuff. Was upon David. Was upon the saints of old. All those guys in, in the Old Testament. But the Spirit within, I told you last week, is adoption. When you're talking about the ministry of the Spirit... Talk about the impact of the Spirit in the believer, not just upon. If the Spirit is inside me, I'm a child of God. Not everybody who performed miracles were children of God. In the Old Testament, it was not possible at the time. But now he's inside me. Now that's important. We are highlighting the most important things. Now the second thing is this. Oh God, are you in church? Are you in church? In the Old Testament, he's saying, this is wrong and this is right. And you may try to do what is right. You try and you can't do it. I mean, so all the Old Testament, you know, laws did was establish the righteousness of God. Even though people couldn't meet up to it, they knew this is God's standard. I'm trying to meet up to it, but I can't. The real purpose of the law was to establish the righteousness of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? It didn't really make anyone better. Listen, what does a dog do when it discovers that barking is a sin? Because everything that the law was trying to point out as wrong were the, pro I mean, the propensities of the fallen man 
Why did God say thou shall not kill? Because they tried to kill. You think they didn't know that killing was wrong? You think when God said thou shall not kill, they went, oh, I, I didn't know. Even the first murderer knew he had done something wrong. Cain knew. No one needs to tell you. And so why did God say thou shall not kill? To hold killers accountable. I might not be able to change them yet until the advent of the Spirit, but at least I can hold them accountable. Let me give you a simple example. If I ask you in this hall, what is the penalty for someone who steals a car? How, many, how, how much jail term will they serve? If you know the answer, it's either of two things. <laughs> Wait now. <laughs> it's either you're a lawyer, lawyer, maybe law enforcement, maybe legal practitioner or policeman, or, <laughs> or you're planning to steal, so you learned about the law so you can weigh the options. <laughs> Why is it that many people don't know penalty? The penalty in your constitution. Because you're not planning to do wrong. You're not planning to do evil. That's the point. So the law is meant to keep people who already have the propensity for evil accountable. Are you getting what I'm saying? So how does God help us to walk in a manner that is consistent with his will? The answer is by his spirit. I know I have a few minutes, but I'll establish this and then we'll get out of here. Come on, are you in church? Oh, Saparia Capone, this, I guess. Turn your Bibles, Jeremiah 31, 31. Because it's 31, 31, you shouldn't forget it. Jeremiah what? This is God's word through his prophet. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Say a new covenant. New covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, said the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their inward. Oh my God. It seems like you're not in church today. Let me tell you this. Imagine... Reading this from the perspective of a Jewish man. You knew what the covenant used to be. A set of regulations. Thou shall not. Thou shall not. Thou shall not. And now the prophet comes and says, God said, I will give a new covenant. So now you are just thinking, just the same way your software is upgraded. That maybe new instructions will be added or something like that. You're expecting a new tablet of stone with new instructions. But then he says, this is the new covenant. I will put my law. I'm not giving you a new law. So the old covenant were regulations. The new covenant will be a regulator. Something inside you will programming. A new propensity by the power of God. I said the old covenants were regulations. The new covenant will be a regulator. He says, I will put my law in their inward parts. Write it in their hearts. Oh my God. No more on a tablet of stone, but write in your hearts. Write inside. Are you with me this morning? Yes, sir. It says, and we'll be their God and they shall be my people. Look at the, the, the result, verse 34. Everybody read together loud as again want to go. And they shall no more. Uh-huh. Saying, no, Lord, for they shall all what? Listen, in the Old Testament, because the laws of God were regulations, they had to be monitored. They had to be pursued. Have you, have you done, I hope you, the way you are doing, you have done something. <laughs> you are acting like someone that has committed but now because it's a new force at work in you, whether pastor is there or not, whether they encourage you to or not, it's like fire shot up in your bones. It says, there shall no one teach his neighbor saying, no, the Lord. That's, that doesn't mean teaching won't be important. 
It means no one will have to force you. It says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. If this is true about you, say loud, amen. amen. Turn your Bibles quickly. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel prophesied this also. I want us to be as fast as possible. People on the screen, be fast. Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, a new heart will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. Are you aware that the new covenant is a spirit? It's a testament of the spirit. Testament. That's what Paul told the church at Corinth. He says that the testament is the spirit in your inward parts. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. The old covenant was telling you, you must do this. You now the spirit of God will make you do. It says, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. I want to say to you again, let the ministry of the spirit find expression in your heart. You will struggle until you know this. Once upon a time, you knew the law of God and you couldn't do it. So Paul paints the scenario perfectly, speaking in first person. He says, I know the law of God, Romans chapter 7. He says, but then I find another law at work in my members, bringing me to captivity to the law of sin and death. He says, I, I, I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what is wrong. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he comes to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Listen, everyone who has struggled with a habit, I want you to look at Romans 8, 1 and read it together loud as you can want to go. There is therefore now no, uh-huh, uh-huh. Who walk not after the what? Flesh, but after the what? Read verse 2. Want to go for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Woo! Has made me free. Made me free. Meaning by the spirit, sin is no longer irresistible. I can walk in this. If I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. By the spirit, sin is no longer irresistible. He says for the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus has made me free. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter how grave your struggles are. You must first agree with the word of God. You know, it's very troublesome to get people who have contradictions to agree and say what God says. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Now say with me, say for the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Say, I'm free from the law of sin and death. Listen, so someone says, how come I've been a Christian all this while and I've been struggling? Maybe you didn't know. I'm telling you now, you are free. Any Christian who is having struggles is someone who has been free but didn't know. Because you didn't know you were free. You were acting like you were in bondage. But now the light of God's word has told you you are free. It seemed like you have been struggling all this while. He says you are dead to sin. Come on, are you with me? There's an old illustration. I'm going to give this again and again for new members who have not heard this. It's very powerful. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 12. Very quickly. The same Romans chapter 8 verse 12. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Meaning, you no longer have to go on with the dictates of the flesh. The dictates of the flesh are no longer irresistible. Say loud, amen. amen. Look at verse 13. He says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit, he's telling you what to do. If you through the Spirit, do what? Mortify the deeds of the body you shall live. So listen, just because the Spirit of God is inside you doesn't mean it will happen 
just automatically. You have to partner with the Spirit. Through the Spirit, you mortify. I had a beautiful illustration, you see, and it changed my life. The word here, mortify, is the word from which you have the English word mortuary and mortician. And what does a mortician do? Amongst many things, he makes sure that dead bodies act dead and stay dead. Because of shock waves, I'm not a doctor, but you know, dead bodies can act, can raise hand and just sit up. And you may not be able to understand that, but here is something you can relate to, hopefully. If you've ever killed a live chicken, I will never forget the day my mom cut off the head of a chicken. But the moment she poured water on it, the chicken stood up. Have you ever experienced something like that before? I almost fainted. That's no exaggeration. The chicken didn't just stand up. The chicken started running up and down the house, flapping, even leaving chicken. I know the, you know, that time. Hopefully things have changed, you know. Now, (laughs) chicken without a head is running up and down. What did my mom do? She cut the chicken, put it back down, poured more hot water. And this is the picture of many Christians with struggles. They are wondering, I'm a child of God. You said I'm dead to sin. I'm still seeing sinful activity. Hey, I'm telling you that sinful activity is a chicken without its head. It's dead. You need to do something to help it act dead. Put it down. Pour the water of the word on it. Listen, tell yourself, this is who I am in Christ. I'm going to walk accordingly. Hallelujah. So the fact that you are seeing contradiction doesn't mean the word of God is not working. Mm -mm, mm -mm. He said you are dead to sin. Hallelujah. So this, this was my education as a child. I didn't change my perspective of death because I saw a chicken without head running. Mm -mm. I enforced it. The chicken was caught, put back down, hot water was poured, and then I saw no movement anymore. That's what every one of us must do. When we see all those inconsistencies, we walk the word of God in our lives. Time is first spent. I just want to tell you how. Number one, through accountability. If the devil successfully lies to you, that you don't have to answer to anybody, you don't have to answer to any authority, you will struggle. Listen, it has been prophesied, prophesied, it says in the last days, perilous times will come. It says, and many of the, one of the things it said is, people will be disobedient to parents. That rebellion will become so pronounced. And this is what they are trying to enforce. To get you to cast off virtuous restraints, not to listen to anybody, you must have a system of accountability. Are you listening to me? Have a system of accountability. It doesn't matter how born again you are until you change your friends, your life will not change. Some of you, I wonder how you, where you get your friends from. What are you doing? What concord does the temple of God have with Baal? I'm quoting a scripture. And, and listen, this is not to say that you can't work with people in the office of ha- or have acquaintances, but choose your inner circle with wisdom. Because listen, this is the most important principle. The way we restore people, the way we get people to work in a manner consistent with their nature is by association. If anyone is overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. Don't be deceived. Evil association corrupts good manners. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are. It doesn't matter how disciplined you think you are. Evil association corrupts what? There's a reason it says don't be deceived because you will keep telling yourself you can handle it. It's just my guy. She's just my girl. Don't be deceived. If you want to have a prayer life, have prayerful friends. If you, have, you want to have a studious life, have studious friends. Friends who can stir up the gift of God in you. Who can fan the flames of the gift of God in you. 
who can remind you of who you are in Christ. There are some friends who will never allow you to do bad by yourself. That's one thing you must get right. Are you listening to me? Some of you have been attending this church for a long time. You still don't have any friends. And I'm not endorsing everybody. This church is not just a school, it's a hospital. There are people here we are working on. So still shine your eye. Laugh, but hear what I'm saying. Hallelujah. But one of the best things God can do to you or for you is to give you good friends. Many habits will die just by the right association. Just by the right association. What did I say is number one? What did I say is number one? And I'm going to close because of time, not because there's still a lot to share with you. But the second thing I want to say is this. I want you to have and maintain a vibrant devotion. I said this last month, interestingly, when I was teaching on relationships. Do you know that it is somewhat counterproductive to be fighting habits. It's counterproductive. It's counterproductive. Listen, there is an environment, Kapaton Grisage. If you bring a pot of soup here on this stage and leave it here, by tomorrow it will be spoiled. But if you put that same pot of soup in a deep freezer, will it be spoiled tomorrow? Why environment? Sometimes we are concerned about preserving character, making sure that it doesn't go awry. But what we should be focused on is environment. You are focusing on a habit and it has not worked. Trying to stop it and it has not worked. I show you a more excellent way. It says this I say then. Walk in the spirits. Walk in the spirit. And he said what? You shall not do what? Come on, I didn't hear you. You shall not do what? So listen, you have to understand that walking in the spirit is the most effective strategy for fighting against the flesh. You are not to fight the flesh directly. Listen, beef up your spirit. Your flesh will behave. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Every day that passes by without you studying God's word, without you praying, you are more susceptible to temptations. You need to understand this. And so when the temptation comes, you are already too late if you are trying to fight. Did you hear what I said? You don't fight temptation effectively when it is standing in front of you. You prepare ahead. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what James says? It says, every man is tempted when he's carried away of his own lusts. It says, and when sin is fully conceived, it leads to death. So he's using terminologies like pregnancy. Pregnancy is not, listen, when someone gives birth to a child, it's not a surprise. You had nine months. You had nine months. And that's how sin formulates. It starts by you thinking you can watch some movies. After all, it's rated 18 and you are above 18. I've told you before, there are movies that should be rated 100. There are movies none of us should be old enough to watch. We will never be old enough to watch some movies. It doesn't matter how popular these things are. Let me tell you something. You should never see anybody that is not your spouse naked. Did you hear what I said? You should never see anybody that is not your spouse. How? It doesn't matter how popular it is online, in movies. As you keep seeing it, you are weakening your defense. You are. And this is the strategy of the devil. To tell you that, I mean, who makes these rules anyway? That's why we had to start where we started. When you get strict with the rules, 
embrace God's standards, it will help you. It will preserve your mind. It will preserve your sanity. Some movies should be rated 150. Protect your mind. Some of you, if you don't have the discipline, listen, if you don't have the discipline to be on some social media app, apps, don't be. I respect people who say, oh, I'm not on social media. I respect people. Are we going to pretend everybody can handle it? Not everybody can. Now look at the way people are looking at me. But what I'm saying, is it true or not? People have been honest enough to say, oh, I'm always tempted on this, so I'm not doing it. It is not when the temptation is face to face. By that time, sin, you will already do. You will always do what you have programmed your flesh to do. When the spirit and the flesh are warring, the result will not be what you want. It will be what you prepared for. Hallelujah. And that's why your most important defense is your prayer altar, your study life, your friends. Hallelujah. Because listen, even in the wilderness, you can carry a different atmosphere. This is what the Spirit does. As they journey to the promised land, the Bible says in front of them was a pillar of cloud. Behind them, a pillar of fire. You can carry your own atmosphere in an environment of contradiction such that even when it is dark in Egypt, you are in Goshen. This is what the Spirit of God does. This is the ministry of the Spirit. If the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. It says you are therefore debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. He says, because you can through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body. Do you believe this? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Listen to me. In church like this, when we are preaching topics like this, sometimes we like to pretend it's for the next person, not for us. But statistically, everybody needs what I'm saying. One out of three adults visit porn sites every week. A study was done in the U.S. You think those people don't go to church? But this is the ministry of the Spirit. And the balance is this. Pick your Bibles in your hand. This is the last text I will read. This is the third thing I want to say. Turn your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. Please, did you learn anything today? Read 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. Loud as you can. 1, 2, go. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this. Some Christians don't have the patience to see the word of God working in their lives. Mind renewal takes time. You are trying to defeat a habit you have had for 10 years. And then because you fail, you thought it didn't work. Get up! A righteous man, though he falls seven times, will do what? So listen, this is the balance. God's will for your life is clear. I write unto you that you sin not. He says, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. So listen, as you are learning to walk in a manner that is consistent, if you fall, what do you say? Lord, I thank you that it is for moments of vulnerability like this that Christ died. Your blood was shed for me. I decree and declare that you are my propitiation. You died for my sins. And in the name of Jesus, even as I understand that I must not continue in this, 
I also know that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I rise up. I rise above this pettiness. I rise above this sin that easily besets. And I walk conscious of who I am in you. I am a son. And you are with me always to the end of the age. This is how you fight. There is another extreme where you just continue doing it and keep confessing. No, 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 no. You must keep, listen. Sanctification must be a growing reality. You must be better tomorrow than you were today. Say loud amen. amen. Come on, say louder amen. amen. It might be gradual, but the process must be evident. The progress must be evident. Some of you so desperately need this teaching. I just want you to pray right now. Pray right now and declare in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Begin to declare it. Do it from your spirit. Do it from your mind. Do it with all you have. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.